Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory, everyone's favorite women's history podcast where two longtime gal pals drink a bunch of wine and talk about women that you probably haven't heard of. I couldn't think of anything better to follow up Emily's song last week, so we're going back to the old favorite. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily, and I ruin everything. <laughs> or you make everything better, and I just You know don't. what? We actually got some feedback about the song from last week, and as always, so first of all, I love when our listeners reach out to us or interact with us on social media, but whenever we get an email or a message, my so brain excited. instantly, well, my brain instantly goes to, oh my God, someone's yelling at well, us. Well, yeah, no. I, it does too, but normally I just but then quickly scan the positive, subject. Yeah, exactly. we're, we're good. That's just how my brain goes for everything. Like I get a phone call, I'm like, "This is bad." Someone knocks your on my bo- door. Your boss this is wants bad. to talk to you. You're like, "I'm getting fired." That's yep. how I am too. Every every single time. time. But uh, we actually got some good advice from one of our listeners. Uh, they are Claudia Kish's boss. There's like a bunch of eyes. So it's like Claudia Kish's boss. You are Claudia. You are a boss. Um, but so basically, uh, she gave us some really nice and kind words about the podcast. And she's like, if you want someone to record that song, go on Fiverr, you know? And right. like, she had some personal so experience with doing that. I'm now like, we might go on Fiverr and find a ukulele player and be like, so this is our song. Make music. And <laughs> we'll make that our intro or something. It's like, it's like the underpants gnomes where it's like, song. Profit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Music, blank, profit. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. But thank you, Claudia. We love, we love you. you. We love you, Claudia. We love you. Join our cult. Anyway. The funerary cult. The funerary cult that is our podcast. I feel like that's basically what this podcast has become because the idea of the funerary cult was to make sure that the person's memory lived on. Yeah, we are, And with every story we tell, funerary cult. we're making sure... We're, we're kind of like a virus, except you want to catch us because right. y- we tell the story. So I tell the story. Kelly hears it. And then you all hear it. And then you tell other people. Right. And it just spreads. It does. It totally does happen. Because I'll be like having a conversation with someone. And then like one of the women will pop into my brain. And I'll be like, have you heard about? It's a femdemic. Catch the fever. Oh, I like that. <laughs> we should get shirts that's, to say yeah, that's, femdemic. That's, that's going to be our new Gosh darn. All right. Why did I say gosh darn? Gosh darn it. Oh, no. Oh, man. I was I was uh, binging a bunch of Trailer Park Boys, which is just like really horrible, raunchy, inappropriate Canadian comedy. And because it's Canadian, you know, they, they have the accent. They say, oh, you know, I'm going to go oat in the boat or the I'm going to go oat in the boat. Canadian is a boot. boat. A boot. That's what they, they say, boot. But it, it's it's not as hard. Like that's when we're mimicking it. It's not as hard. It's only like a boat, like oat. Yeah, it's like a long o. Yeah, and the the park and the car. And so bag. now I'm like bag, bag, bag. That's for all our southern listeners. It's pronounced bag. Milk, milk. Bagel, bagel. Bubbler. No. Let's just keep going until we can think of all the words everyone says wrong. <laughs> the right Gray-duck? way to say them is the way I say it. <laughs> duck, duck, gray duck? It's duck, not, duck, goose is the wrong way because we're duck, in Minnesota, duck, so we have to say duck, duck, gray duck. It's actually a part of the law. It is. And same with uh, you, you can't sleep it. naked in Minnesota. Nice, nice try. <laughs> I mean, no, that is the law, but you're not going to get arrested for it. I think it's like the seatbelt law where 
enough people were so it gets so cold and so if people sleep naked they freeze to death yeah. and so it was one of those things where it's like guys i can't believe i have to tell you not to sleep naked and freeze to death at night but now we're making it a law guys i can't believe i te- have to tell you to wear right. a fucking seatbelt so you don't die so now we're making it a law except you know you can get pulled over and in trouble for not wearing your seatbelt you know you're not going to get in trouble for sleeping naked unless you have to like run outside in a house fire at which point you're still not going to get in trouble for sleeping naked you're going to get in trouble for public indecency i mean your partner could totally tell on you yeah right i still don't <laughs> think anyone's gonna come and arrest you i think the cops will just be like picks or uh, it didn't happen yeah. bitch <laughs> oh my god i will jump into our wine all right i don't know if you'll fit though it's a really small neck i'll try that same quality pun crap you've come to love santa claus that shit and just god that's the dream um so this is echo domani italia so i think that's the brand Actually, I know that's the brand. I think it's Italian, actually. No, it's Italia. That's what it says. Yeah, but that's Italian for I know, Italian. But I'm just reading what it says. <laughs> You're, I don't like you. I'm being, <laughs> I'm being disruptive. This is a limited edition Pinot Grigio with a label designed by Brandon Maxwell, which I feel like if I was more fashionable, I might know who that is, but I don't. So it says... This limited edition design for Echo Domani Pinot Grigio incorporates my signature leopard print with my stylized B initial. The print represents individuality and personal style with my signature stamp creating a connection among us to be celebrated. Much like Echo Domani, this label design is independent, spirited, and just what you need to live life boldly. Oh, that's what the B stands for. What's the guy's name? What's the designer's name? Brandon Maxwell. Oh. I was like, I'm pretty it sure it stands for bold. Brandon. Uh, Brandon you know. is actually uh, old English for bold. Uh, but I <laughs> grabbed it because it's real pretty. It is. It's a it's a clear bottle and it's got the black leopard print all over. And some of the leopard print looks like the letter B yeah, it's, for it's bitch. Real, it's, it's real pretty. <laughs> Let's just start naming words that begin with B that make me happy. Like bitch and bamf. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a weird podcast. We haven't even started. Oh, man. I've had two sips and I'm feeling it, it. It's funny because before we started recording, I'm like, I'm kind of feeling tired and low energy. Like, and now she's sucks. like, Woo! and now I'm like, yeah, yeah, mother cluckers. I just took a sip. It's really good. It's a dry, it's a dry white. <laughs> you know what? I'm not it's usually a Pinot, Pinot Grigio. Grigio fan. Actually, when you said it was Pinot Grigio, I was like, oh, fuck. But this is good. Like, I'm really enjoying this it because it's sweeter than a yeah. lot of Pinot Grigios. Yeah, I feel like the Pinot Grigios we usually drink are kind of like, you know, that like sour lime candy mm-hmm. where it just has that like kind of bitterness to it. This like does pepper? not have that. Yeah. I didn't, I don't, I don't have anything fancy about its mouthfeel or anything because uh, I grabbed, this is, I think I told the story the other day when I bought my six bottles of wine intending to only buy four, I grabbed two on my way out the door because I was like, ooh, pretty. And this was one of the two I grabbed on the way out the door. So you said pucker. And now I have a craving for that off-brand, like, green sour apple pucker. Yeah. So, I so, mean, that's literally what it's called. Yeah. But no, no, no. Because there's brand name pucker, but yeah. then there's the off-brand, because that's clear. But then there's the off-brand stuff that looks like a liquefied Jolly Rancher. Oh, really? I, I remember. Thought, I always thought real pucker was the Jolly Rancher flavored one. No, there's, like, another... I. I'm this may just be my perception but yeah there's like clear vodka pucker but then there's the uh, the other like I call it the off-brand pucker because it's cheap and it looks cheap but it's like liquefied Jolly Rancher. Decuper. What? That's the brand. Yeah. Decuper. God I want some of that. When I first started drinking I would drink that shit straight. Oh yeah. No that's what you would do. I feel like everyone has that first like really 
terrible liquor that they were into, and that is mine. And now I want a shot of it. Apparently, like that's and some Jolly Ranchers, decent like like that. That brand has like everything. All right, so what are we cheersing to today? I don't know. Do you ever say their name? I do not. I do not uh, Claudia is a boss. Yeah, Claudia. Yeah. Here you go. Cheers to, to you and your suggestions and digging the song and the podcast. Clink. Yeah, like I said, I'm into this. It's it's sweeter. It's not as dry. That's nice. It's wild like a leopard. I almost said tiger, and I'm like, wrong cat. Wrong cat. <laughs> We're living life boldly. Like a couple of bamps. <laughs> couple of Brandons. <laughs> Brandons. Brandon Maxwell. I Okay, I'm going to Google who this dude is. Oh, my God. I want to know what he looks like. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google him, too, so I can see his face. What his you... bamp face. The first picture that sh- pulls up is like, he has very uh, interesting glasses. That's what I'm going to go with. Like, they're very wide Oh, rimmed. those really And I'm 90% sure, looking at this picture, I, I, it doesn't look like there's lenses in it, but I'm just going to pretend that it does have lenses. So, yeah, he's a fashion designer. Yeah. Man, they look... Okay, remember oh, when hey, 3D designed, movies first came out? I mean, there's a picture of him with uh, Lady Gaga. Interesting. Oh, nice. But you remember when 3D movies first came yeah, out and everyone would like. steal the glasses and punch the lenses out? That's yeah. what it looks like. Except they're somehow thicker. And those things were thick with two Cs. Right. Uh, his, he he looks like a very classic designer because I, I, I'm just looking at a few of his designs and they're very pretty. I have to say, I'm really digging the fact that... So it's showing some of the designs and the fashions he's made and they're all very colorful and bright and exotic and crazy but in every single picture he is in all black sometimes he's in a tux with a white dress shirt but otherwise the guy who designs fashion for a living has one fucking look apparently Uh, but apparently he must uh, quite often design Lady Gaga's dresses because he's in several photos with her. her Like, no judgment. If you're friends with Lady Gaga, you must be pretty right? fucking cool, man. But yeah, he designs, he's a fashion designer. Oh my God, sure. did he design her meat dress? Did he? I don't know. There's just a picture referencing Brandon and it has a picture of Lady Gaga in her meat dress. Oh yeah. God, remember when that was the biggest news in the world? I yeah. want to go back to those days. I, I kind of missed that. All right. Well. Sorry for our tangent but yeah now i'm you all know brandon maxwell a little better and now so it's gonna come up in conversation you're gonna be like oh the guy with the really thick glasses who wears only black is bfs with lady gaga and everyone's gonna be like oh so impressed you know that right? you're gonna be like i'm on top of yeah this. like brandon maxwell is so 10 minutes ago catch up right <laughs> you take a long sip of your wine why are you w- drinking wine in the library shh <laughs> I believe you have the lovely pleasure of going first. The lovely pleasure. That's gonna be that's gonna be my uh, Tinder tagline. I am the lovely pleasure. Ooh. All right. Well, today I am going to tell the story of Junko Tobe, who is the uh. Well, I'm not gonna say. I've got I've, I've got my tagline, and I almost read it, but it really gives the entire fucking story away. You gotta leave a little bit of mystery, Emily. Yeah, you know. You know that's why we don't wear skin tight cat suits. I gotta make you work for it. You gotta make me listen for it. Yeah. So uh, Junko was born Junko Ishibashi on September twenty second, nineteen thirty nine. So her birthday is 
tomorrow based on the publication of this episode. So this episode comes out on the 28th. No. Right? No. Nope. What? No, no. On, like, she was, I'm sorry. She was born on the 22nd. So, yeah. So, yeah, comes out on the 21st. I'm like, yeah, uh, you're skipping a week because 28th, we're not going to have an episode. You know, we're Schrodinger's podcast. We're like, doc- th- no, we're Doctor Who of podcasts because we are in the past, the present, and the future all <gasps> at the same time. Timey wimey. But yeah, so happy early birthday, Junko. Yay. She was born in Miharu, Fukushima, Japan. And she was the fifth of seven children. As a child, Junko was considered very frail. So she's kind of growing up in World World War II slash post-World War II. Because she yep. was born in 1939. And her town wasn't hit as bad as others. But a lot of kids growing up in that time were just like really skinny. Well, yeah, because frail, with the... Food is... Yep, with the scarcity. Not abundant. Stuff like that, yeah. One, what food was available was going to the soldiers, yeah. like everywhere, anywhere, anyone that was involved in the war, including the U.S., like, because that was more important. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when everyone, like, started rationing and wasn't bitching about the government telling them what to do for the greater good? No, they were just bitching about, we don't have any sugar. <laughs> Seriously, that was, like, a, one of the biggest rations for some reason. I'm like, okay, that's weird. I mean, I need my sugar. It's, that's true. So despite this, she began mountain climbing at an early age. Ooh. At 10 years old, she went on the best class field trip ever and climbed Mount Nasu. Now, when I first heard this, I pictured Mount Nasu. I pictured something like pretty non-threatening, like considering these are a bunch of 10-year-olds. Right. But when you Google it... I found that Mount Nasu is actually a range of volcanoes with various peaks and such. I'm not sure how far up they went, considering the smallest peak is Kuraoya Peak at uh, 1,589 miles up. Well, then. Like, I don't want to, like, discredit them, because maybe, like, the teacher totally dragged a bunch of 10-year-olds a thousand maybe miles up like, a mountain. Maybe they were just, like, in the foothills. <laughs> we will never know. No, well... We won't. And these are the things that keep me up at night. That and the weird thing I did in third grade. (laughs) Don't ask me about it. So Junko really fell in love with this experience. She loved how climbing was a test of one's own abilities rather than competing with others. And it allowed for her to see these striking natural landscapes. The second she reached the top of Mount Nasu, again, I don't know what the top is. (laughs) And she viewed the breathtaking landscape. She was hooked. Quote, Even if you go slow, you can make it to the top. Or if you must, you can quit at the middle. So it's really just kind of pushing yourself. It's all about you and what you are capable of. Unfortunately, Junko would have to come back to Earth. Climbing is an expensive pursuit and her family didn't have the funds. Remember, they have seven kids. This is, I mean, by this time, it's post-World War II. But, but still. still, they're in that recovery period. Things are, like, not super stable. Quote, I couldn't think about climbing mountains or any kind of leisure. We had to worry about what we would eat. Women were also not encouraged to engage in adventurous activities. Shocking. Junko did keep climbing, though she only went a few times while in high school. So, you know, just sporadically. You know, weekend trips. Weekend trips up the mountain. Yeah. She she would just see a mountain in the distance. She's like, I'm going to climb that bitch. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'm going to go on a walk up a mountain like a boss. It's fine. It's staying. After graduating from high school, Junko attended Showa Women's University from 1958 to 1962, where she studied English and American literature. 
What what English majors? Her plans were to become a teacher, but the mountains were singing their sweet siren song, beckoning Junko to rise to new heights (laughs) with the the sound sound of music. music. No, with the sound of lawsuits. (laughs) (laughs) There were... uh, Oh, sorry. I skipped ahead a paragraph. Okay. It's because you were just in awe of my I like, was. weirdly baritone singing. I don't know it why I went down though. an octave I there. was digging it. Good. I love when you deep throat that music. <laughs> I'm not going to spit take my water. <laughs> That's good. We're good. Uh, after graduating in 1962, Junko began joining men's climbing clubs because there were no women's ones. Go figure. Sounds familiar. Junko was met with mixed responses to her joining. I didn't find that she was excluded, which is great, but some men seemed confused as to why she was pursuing the male-dominated sport of climbing. Right, they're just like, the fuck you here for? And she's like, because I like mountains, bitches. Are you looking for the sewing circle down the hall? No, no. I want to climb mountains. Mountains? I, you, what are these mountains? You're saying you these words, of. and I don't understand. Like... When he says it, I get it, but I don't get it from you. Do you want to clean the mountain? <laughs> uh, there were men who refused to climb with Junko because she was a woman. Other men looked at this four foot nine lady. She is tiny as right. hell and accused her of being a poser who was just trying to find a husband. Like, wow. Imagine this gatekeeping bullshit. Oh, oh, you like climbing? Name a mountain. What are these on my feet? Shoes. Oh, oh, did you read that on the internet? Mountain slut. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was great. Like, I'm just imagining, like, oh, oh, you want to be my climbing partner? No, you just want to get in my sleeping bag. Oh, I bet you just take pictures in in nothing but mountain boots and a pickaxe and look like a slut. Right? (laughs) Naked with a mountain behind you. Who's our gamer girl? (laughs) Ugh. Gatekeeping. Uh, Stop it. Bullshit. Like a boss, Junko began bagging major mountains in Japan, including Mount Fuji. You know, the one everyone knows. Yeah, you know. There's only one mountain in Japan, and it's that one. In my reality. Okay. I'm like, I don't think that's true, Emily. No, it's super. Well, that's why it was so easy to climb them all. There's only one. Done. So literally my next line, until she'd literally climbed them all. Because there is only one. Mount Fuji. <laughs> I mean, she climbed all the Mount Fujis. Guys, I'm really bad at geography. Don't hate me. <laughs> Don't add us. Well, you can add Emily. But yeah, seriously. So she she's joining these men clubs and she starts climbing like crazy and she climbs yeah. all the major mountains in all of Japan. Right. Like nuts. Junko didn't just love mountaineering. She also fell in love with a mountaineer. She wasn't looking for a husband, but she found one. <laughs> she met Masanobu Tobei while climbing Mount Tanigawa, and the two married when Junko was 27 years old. Herstory had canon. They definitely had mountaineering references in their vows and had a mountain-shaped wedding cake. Heck yeah. I vow to ascend with you, summit a beautiful life together, and conquer the, conquer the many terrains we may mountain face. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> You don't mountain climb, but those should be in your vows anyways. Oh, they should. No, my vows are going to be all Bob's Burgers quotes, and it's always sunny quotes. Because <laughs> that's okay, almost Jared exclusively how Jared yeah. and I communicate through TV quotes. That's actually, okay, 
when we were first like kind of flirting and liking each other, we did that zoo trip. So they had like adult night at the zoo. So a bunch of us went and that was like me and Jared's first unofficial date. It wasn't Joe and, with us. Yeah, it was it was you, Justin, me and Jared and, and Joe. Joe. <laughs> he got married. He's fine. But uh, Jared kept like giving these Bob's Burgers references and like making jokes around that. And I, I love Bob's Burgers, but I hadn't watched it a ton yet. So at one point we went to a restaurant afterwards and I went to the bathroom. And it was and a I burger started Googling. It was a burger restaurant. And I started Googling Bob's Burgers quotes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I was doing my homework so I could flirt with him. You're adorable. Uh, I don't think I ever knew that. That's adorable. I might. Okay, it's either adorable and pathetic or pathetic. I'm going to go with adorable. We're going to go with adorable. Yep. So up until this point, uh, Junko had been part of men's climbing clubs, but knew she couldn't be the only woman interested in mountaineering. I mean, statistically, there was just no way. (laughs) In 1969, Junko remedied that. She established the first women's only mountaineering club in the country called Joshi Tohan Club, which means women's mountaineering club. Very straight to the point. Very pragmatic. Love it. This club oozed of female independence and empowerment. Their slogan was, let's go on an overseas expedition by ourselves. What a mission. It's a mission statement. Heck yeah, it is. I like that, though. This was in response to the hostile treatment Junko received from men in the mountaineering community. She's like, kind of getting sick of it. Oh, I would. Sick of guys randomly coming up to her and being like, name a mountain. (sighs) Quick, what shape is a mountain? Is it a circle or a triangle? Tell me. See, you don't fucking know. (laughs) I love you. The following year in 1970, the Joshi Tohan Club had their first expedition climbing on a piranha in, or sorry, Annapurna. 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 Ugh. That's a lot more fun. I want that to be my stripper name. Annapurna. No, no. I'm going to have a nature show and I'm going to be (laughs) Annapurna. Nature queen. I really like that. Uh, So they're climbing Annapurna the third in Nepal. I assume it's named after someone who was also the third Annapurna. I mean, her and Truda should be best friends. Yeah. And honestly, that's where I got the term bagging mountains because it was in your story. And I'm like, that is the best way to describe yep. doing something. I know. Something. Some, somebody in one of my, like, the articles I read, that's what they call it, bagging summits. And I'm like, yep, we're keeping that terminology. Oh, I should have said summits. I, I just wrote bagging mountains. That works, too. So this is the 42nd highest mountain in the world at 24,787 feet or 7,555 meters for the other 99% of the world. Honestly, 24,000 feet sounds more impressive, but whatever. <laughs> we're, 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 we're size queens in America, apparently. <laughs> Everything needs to sound bigger than it is. <laughs> Junko was in charge of planning and leading the expedition, which would also be her first time outside of Japan. Oh, cool. That's probably true for a lot of the women in the group. I would imagine because I'm sure a lot of them were around the same age. And so they grew up during and post World War II. And, you know, Japan was in kind of this economic dip. And especially women weren't really encouraged to, like, go out and have adventures. No. So... In the final ascent of the peak, two women were chosen, Junko and Hiroki Hirakawa. With the guidance of two Sherpas, they reached the peak on May 19, 1970. The ladies took a camera to document their success, but it was so freaking cold that the camera's film cracked. 
That sounds about right. That would suck. You climb your first international mountain and you can't take a picture. Like no selfies for you. I'd be pissed. The Joshi Tohan Club had successfully ascended the mountain, making them the first women and the first Japanese people to bag the mountain. Bagging mountains, bagging peaks. Bagging All summits. you fuckers trying to sneaks. <laughs> Mm, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> uh, however, the climb was not an easy one and brought to light struggles that the women would have to confront if they wanted to continue climbing. So in Japanese culture, as, at least at this time or especially at this time, it was important to endure hardships quietly with strength. And that was seen as this like virtue of yep. womanhood in particular. However, mountaineering is a practical sport and not speaking up about your needs or if you need help can be disastrous. Oh, it can kill you. Exactly. <laughs> disastrous. This attitude actually led to many of the women suffering from altitude sickness, altitude sickness, altitude sickness during the climb. And because too many mints, because they're getting sick and they don't want to ask for oxygen, they don't want to ask for help, and so it's getting worse and worse. worse. Yeah. And like I, I'm reading this, I'm like, that's so silly. You're climbing a mountain. Like you need to speak up if you feel like you're dying. But, but I'm it's like so ingrained in you. Well, and I'm like, how often in my own life do I does someone like put shit on me? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, totally. No problem. Do you want to run me over with your car, too? If it's not inconvenient, you know, like I feel like we all have those passive people pleaser tendencies that are yeah. really self-destructive. Like, there are a few people that don't. But, you know, those people are. <laughs> Psychopaths. <laughs> so climbing Annapurna forced the women to acknowledge their own limitations and learn to speak up with each other, therefore forging a deeper sense of trust and community. Right. And in, in a way that like that's something they could do is instead of like they don't necessarily have to break out of their culture completely, you know, like it's just within their group, like they have to get used to relying on one another and speaking up. Exactly. And understanding that the other people aren't going to see them as weaker for it. You exactly. know, we, hey, we're all working together towards this goal and we're not going to get there if a bunch of us drop dead halfway up I because almost, you didn't tell me you needed oxygen. I almost broke out in a high school musical song. We're all in this together. Don't sue us. We are poor. We've got nothing for you. God damn. I just had, whoa, I just transported to an entirely different period in my life. Oh, yeah. And I feel like I have time travel whiplash. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I that you were instantly on my way. I know. It though. took me half a second and we were both right there. Oh, my God. Can I we get you. drunk and watch High School Musical after yes. this? We could get drunk and watch. I don't know if I have it because I was in in high school. The first musical I was in was High School Musical because they wanted oh cheerleaders, God. and this is when I was still a cheerleader, and this, that's what got me into theater. And I'm like, I don't. I wonder if I have that version on tape. Oh, I want to see that. I want to see it and drink to it and I cheers to it. I was a it. skater and a cheerleader. It was it was very weird. No, I think it was just. I don't know. But it was interesting. <laughs> Kelly's past is a mystery, even to her. Yeah. That's how you keep the mystery alive. You don't even know your own story. <laughs> you just forget it conveniently all the time. <laughs> I actually, okay, I donated blood this last week and they asked me, like, how old are you? And I'm like, uh. Oh, no, I had a <laughs> For moment the first the time. Day, I was like, how old am I? <laughs> when I was like, like, because I was talking to Justin and he, like, he said I was 28. So, like, later that day, someone asked me my age and I was like, 28. And I, like, paused and I was like, no. No, no, no. I'm 29. Yep. And they're like, you forgot your own age. And I'm like, my husband told me wrong. <laughs> my husband me told look. me my wrong age. It's his fault. <laughs> it's, it's, we're getting old. 
We're getting to the point where we don't remember how old we are. Yeah. So uh, Junko said of this whole situation with like being quiet and stoically Mm -hmm. enduring suffering. When we began climbing, we were determined to only show each other our strong sides. When you are climbing a mountain, your life depends on the exact opposite. You can't be reserved and not say what you think or feel. Right. Honestly, that's something I still struggle with. The Joshi Tohan Club was going to need the work need to work well together for their next expedition for they were going to climb the big mac daddy mount freaking everest again the only mountain in the world because that's the one everyone no the second one the second one after mount fuji (laughs) it's like this much less famous than mount fuji it's fine depending on where you're from it might be more famous than mount fuji it might be the team that would climb Mount Everest was made up of 15 members of the Joshi Tohan Club. 50 or 15? 15. Okay. Sorry, one five. Enunci. No, I'm kidding. Ki- no, I was going to try to say it in Spanish, and I am not doing that to you. So uh, so the 15 members of the Joshi Tohan Club who are going to con- climb Mount Everest. Are you counting in Spanish right now? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember what 15 is. Quince? I think it's Quince. Spanish listeners, I tell love that. Us. I love that she's like watching my mouth movements and I'm like, are you counting in Spanish? God damn you. So these women would be known as the Japanese Women's, women's Everest Expedition or the JWEE. Ooh, like or that. the Shui, as I call them. This may seem like a quick turnaround from their first international expedition to climbing freaking Mount Everest, but they had to wait years for a climbing permit due to scheduling issues. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they should have just done uh, what Truda did and just like hung out on, on the, the border, border of Nepal snuck and just snuck in. Good God. <laughs> See, th- this time, oh, this time God, lapse did that. work to their advantage because it gave Junko time to find sponsors to help right. fund the climb. Well, and it gives time for those the women to get over those fears of... They need to fucking train for right, this. Exactly. Now, asking for money sucks. I know because I worked in the call center for my university asking people for donations and got yelled at on the daily. (laughs) Oh, was she the one that told me to go fuck myself in the perfect Minnesota accent? It is keen, say, by the way. (laughs) You fucking Googled it. I Google everything. We cannot let anything go. We we have a thirst for knowledge and it can't be quenched. Well, it's either I Google it now. Or like four hours from now, it randomly pops into my head and then I text you and then you're like, the fuck is Keensay? And then you're like, oh yeah, we had that conversation like four hours ago. But yeah, so now asking for money sucks. Not everyone has amazing listeners like you who support our podcast for as little as $1 a month on our Patreon. Or buy our merch. (sighs) But Junko faced an extra fun obstacle to obtaining sponsorship. Sexism! Yay! Yay! Especially in Japan, unfortunately. Yeah. Junko was frequently told that women, quote, should be raising children instead. Oh, no. Uh, She said most companies reaction was that for women, it's impossible to climb Mount Everest. (laughs) Okay. If you're a woman, you you cannot. Like an extra like because of X, Y and Z. It's just no, if you're a woman, you can't do it. Yeah. I love when they're simple like that. Despite these rude-ass comments, Junko was able to secure funding from Yomiuri Shimbun newspaper and Nippon Television, leaving the 15 JWEE team members only having to pay 1.5 million yen each, which is like $5,000. I mean, I guess yen that's always sounds about, way more expensive. Than it's probably it about what I pay. Yeah, but that's what they're getting paid in. So for them, it is expensive. Yeah. But like thinking about it, that's probably what I paid when I went to London. 
when I was a college I mean, or a high school student. I mean, to climb Mount Everest, that's not too bad. Like $5,000 no, seems $5, like a reasonable then, amount. Then, what year uh, was that? This was 1975 that they climbed. Kelly's getting out the conversion calculator. I am. You've got, like, your intense hacker face on. Like, remember those early 2000s yeah, that's, shows? Yeah, uh, $24,155.95 today. Fuck no. So, no. That's... I suppose because I bet the, the dollar or the, like, money was probably a lot less because it was still... We were still recovering from the war. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no. No, thank <laughs> that's you. That's a lot. <laughs> To help raise a portion of the funds, or to raise her portion of the funds, Junko taught piano lessons and made her own equipment. Aww. Because Junko is fucking amazing, she made her pants, you know, the ones that were going to take her to the top of the fucking world, out of old curtains and her waterproof gloves out of the cover of her car. Like, get I this lady a YouTube channel on how to take over the world with simple household items. Right. Fuck like, yeah, I would watch the shit out of that. Are you climbing Mount Everest but finding it's very expensive? Well, today we're going to teach you how to turn your old curtains into hiking pants. <laughs> My next se- section is n- titled, Not Just Forever, Foreverest. <laughs> I really like that. Kelly's face. Your face like sucked into itself because <laughs> you're trying not to laugh. You're like, don't encourage her. No, but it's adorable at the same time. I kind of want that uh, on a patch. Actually, I, I want, bet. I want a picture of Mount Everest that says <laughs> for Everest. That's going to go on her jackets. Okay. Her husband, I bet, gave her a locket that had the inscription for Everest. I love you for Everest. That, that was their vows. <laughs> I will love you for Everest. Oh, my God. So the JWEE underwent rigorous training, and in May of 1975, they traveled to Mount Everest. uh, Word of their endeavors spread quickly, leading to journalists and news crews to follow them to the mountain. Led by Junko and accompanied by six Sherpa guides, the JWEE planned to take the same route that Tenzing Norgay and Sir Edmund, Edmund Hillary, the first people to successfully climb Mount Everest in 1952. Familiar. And they're actually, I did more reading after my research, they're the first two people confirmed to have climbed well, the yeah, mountain. yeah, because I'm sure like... Well, Sherpas and stuff had climbed before them. Well, and- specifically, there was an expedition in like 1924, and the people disappeared, and their bo- and one of their bodies was found in 1999. And so they couldn't tell if they had made it to the top and died on the way back down or died on the way up. So it's possible they made it to the top. So, but these are this is the first like confirmed, yeah, case of Everest recorded or yeah. What, yeah. Now, climbing Everest is no easy feat. Over 300 people have died trying to conquer the 29,029-foot behemoth, or 8,848 behemoth for our international listeners. I love you. Oftentimes, conditions are too dangerous to recover climbers' bodies, so they are left preserved by the extreme cold. Oh, it, that it's true. It's we've talked it's, about this a little bit before. I think yeah. when we, we were maybe talking, about, we were talking about some of your now. mountain ladies, yep. yeah. Some of the most famous corpses have nicknames and are used to guide the way. Like they're literally waypoints. Yeah, one notable corpse is named Green Boots because, well, guess, he's named for people. very obvious <laughs> reasons. He marks the main Northeast Ridge route. Though he is a officially unidentified, Green Boots is believed to be Indian climber Sewang Palijor, who died in 1996. And actually, I read that his body has been moved. And they really? don't, well, they don't know if he was 
buried, but he was he was found huddled under this like outcropping of rock surrounded by oxygen balls. So they think like a storm came and he was huddling for shelter and died there. And actually, oh, there's another climber who took shelter in what's called Green Boots Cave and he died there, too. And his body actually was. I can't remember if it was recovered or if it was um, buried on the mountain, but his parents were like, yeah, we don't want him just like hanging out there for everyone to gawk at. I mean, that makes sense. Yep. So you can guesstimate the decade of many climbers that the, that many climbers died based on the style of their clothes, which is kind of chilling. That's actually really interesting at yeah. the same time, though. So Green Boots looks very like he kind of looks like late 80s, 90s, like the really bright colored, you know windbreakery yeah. jacket style yeah hazards include intense snowstorms freezing conditions sneaky crev- crevasses altitude sickness and avalanches in fact while sleeping in their tents at 6300 meters or 20700 feet an avalanche came storming down the mountain on the jwee the roar of the avalanche woke Junko from her sleep. She had never heard an avalanche before, but knew exactly what the sound was. I feel like it's just one of those things you know it when you hear it. Like, what Kinda else like could it be? like a tornado. Yeah. Like, most people don't, like, you're not going to, like, on a daily basis, you're not going to be like, oh, that sounds like a tornado. But, like, in the moment, you're going to be like, fuck, that's a tornado. Yeah. <laughs> Before she could react, the wall of snow buried Junko and four other climbers, tangling them in a web of snow and tent. Junko thought of her two-and-a-half-year-old daughter and then blacked out. Thankfully, the Sherpas were able to dig Junko and the others out, avoiding any casualties. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No. However, Junko was seriously injured by the avalanche and could barely walk. So, like, she had bruises and welts and, like, her back and hips and neck, everything was, like, tweaked because she had basically been tossed around like a rag doll by yeah. a wall of snow. She had to spend two days recovering but did resume the climb, though at times she had to crawl oh. due to her injuries. As soon as I knew everyone was alive, I was determined to continue, she said. Damn. The group also encountered altitude sickness. Of course. This occurs when climbing extreme altitudes where there is less oxygen. In extreme cases, fluid can build up in the lungs and kill you. Super fun. Because the climbers required more oxygen to combat the altitude sickness, there wasn't enough for two climbers to ascend the peak as planned. Uh, Junko was nominated to summit the mountain herself. Yes, the woman who had been leading them on her hands and knees was chosen to go the rest of the way. Like, good for her. But still. I'm just like, man. Junko set out to the peak. As she grew closer to the top, she encountered a thin ridge of ice that she had to cross. Junko had done a ton of research in planning the climb, and nowhere did anyone mention this bullshit. Junko described the ridge as, quote, smaller than a tatami mat. Junko carefully climbed sideways along the ridge on her hands and knees, knowing that if the ridge broke or if she fell, it was game yeah, over. Yeah, no, you're dead. Like, this sounds like something out of a movie. She described the experience as the tensest one she had ever had. Fair. Finally, on May 16th, 1975, 12 days after she had been injured in the avalanche, Junko reached the summit of Mount Everest. And there is a picture. And she's like (gasps) posing in her orange, like, snowsuit. She's got the the Japanese flag. Our Instagram. Yeah, it's really cool. 
This made Junko the first woman to ever summit Everest. Normally, this would be the best moment in someone's life. But as Junko said, all I felt was relief. Right. She's like, oh, thank God I'm done. She was still in a lot of pain and knew the adventure wasn't over. She still had to get down. This is the halfway point. <laughs> like, oh, thank you. You're pouring me more wine. I mean, at least if she can get back to camp, like, she'll have the rest of, like, her team for support. Yeah. I just, like, slide down on my ass or something. <laughs> Put me on a sled, guys. I'll be fine. This achievement naturally gained Junko a lot of attention. When she returned to Japan, thousands of cheering fans greeted her at Aww. the airport. She also received praise from the Japanese government and the king of Nepal. Damn. Yeah. There was a miniseries made about the expedition, too, which I really want to watch, and Junko went on a tour making appearances across Japan. Now, most people would have been soaking up this attention acclaim, but Junko was not looking for fame, and when she found it, she wasn't a fan. She personally preferred to be thought of as the 30, or sorry, yeah, 36th person to summit Everest instead of the first woman. And so that was how I had her titled, the 36th person to summit Everest. Oh, I like that. I mean, like, I've covered a few women that are like, no, don't don't count me as the first woman to do this. Yeah. Like, count me in my proper place. Now, that being said, I think uh, her achievement is very notable because there was so much, uh, there were a lot of barriers and resistance for women mountaineers, especially in Japan. And she not oh, only yeah. climbed Mount Everest, but she empowered other women to do it with her. Right. She was like, let's make a group. Let's fucking do this. Let's make yeah. a girl gang and climb a mountain. Yes. And honestly, I feel like that's the bigger impact. You know, her being the first woman to summit Everest is amazing. And I'm not taking that away now from her at all. Will remember but her forever. It's like a stronger impact. What she the impact she had on those women's lives. Exactly. Your puns are rubbing off on me and I hate it. Uh, I'm trying to think of a rubbing pun. And it's yep. not, it's I not mean, working. just rubbing off on is just. Yeah. Moving on. All right. Uh, she said, I did not intend to be the first woman on Everest. She just wanted to climb the mountain. Right? She didn't like, care. I just wanted to climb the mountain. After her historic achievement of being the 36th person to summit Mount Everest, Junko went on to bag more peaks and successfully complete the Seven Summits Challenge, which means she summited the highest mountain on every continent. Yep. So the Seven Summits Challenge, also called the Explorer's Grand Slam, which I would totally drunk order at Denny's. Right. I want to do that. Like, can we do a pickup drunk order at Denny's at 2 a.m. tonight? Yeah, I just want pizza. Um, so I don't know why. Whenever I get drunk, I'm like, pizza. <laughs> but this is a mountaineering challenge that was first completed in 1985. It's also like sometimes referred to as the Nine Summits Challenge. It, there, it depends on what map you're using and what you consider a continent and where you <laughs> consider mountains in certain areas. Because apparently, honestly, we made up the idea of continents to help understand our world better. So that that's all it's made up. To North America, South America. Oh, I'm I'm about Antarctic. to list. Oh, I'm about to list all the mountains she climbed. Do it. So in order, she summited Kilimanjaro in 1980 in Africa, Mount Aconcagua in 1987 in South America, Denali in uh, 1988 in North America, Mount Elbrus in Europe in 1989, Mount Vinson in 1991 Antarctica, and. Puncak Jaya in 1992 in Indonesia. Not a count continent, but it counts for like Australia and Oceania and that general area. Uh, Puncak Jaya. Jaya. Okay, yeah. yeah. 
Upon summiting Punkak Jaya, Junko became the first woman to complete the Seventh Summit's challenge, or as she probably liked to say, the fourth person to complete the challenge. Though Junko was offered sponsorships after she conquered Everest, she never accepted any, funding her own expeditions by guiding mountain tours, tutoring children, and making public appearances. She said, if I accept sponsorship, then climbing the mountain is not my own experience. It's like working for the company. Hmm. I totally get that because that was kind of part of what the mountaineering like pursuit was for her. Like the first time she climbed a mountain, she's like, this is it. I can't do the, uh, the nine to five office job and just like be trying to prove I'm the most loyal of like a thousand employees. When I'm just a cog in the machine. Because this is all about what you can do for yourself, you know? So this next section is called Living Legacy because she did a ton of cool stuff while she was still alive. Not only was Junko all about climbing mountains, she also wanted to preserve them for future generations. In 2000, she completed her postgraduate studies at Kyushu University studying the environmental decline of Everest caused by mountaineering tourism, which is still super an issue. There's so much trash up there, you guys. It's real bad. Like, I always think of it as this desolate, snowy place, but, like, there are pictures of people who are waiting in line to summit, and they're, like... It's like waiting in a queue at Disney World. It's ridiculous. Like, part of me is like, oh, it would be fun to climb a mountain. And then I'm like, I I don't want to wait in line to climb a mountain. In the snow? Yeah. It's like well, Black people, Friday, people but there's still no die up there. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I wrote about this when I was reading about the, like, deaths. Mm-hmm. Even though there's significantly more um, people going up Everest... The death rate has remained pretty steady at about 1%. Yep. Not bad, really. No, but you still have to think, like, if it's remained steady, it means the more people that are going up the mountain, there's been more deaths because it it's stayed yeah, at 1%. Yeah, but it's, it's stayed within the ratio. I know. It's just know. interesting. To help preserve mountains internationally, Junko directed the Himalayan Adventure Trust of Japan, an organization that works to preserve mountains. Ooh. She also participated in cleanup climbs where she and other mountaineers would climb mountains in Japan to pick up trash. Everyone it's like needs to do that. Picking they up need that for Mount trash Everest. on the highway, but on a mountain. It should be like every time you climb Mount Everest, you have to come down with a bag of trash. Yeah. <laughs> not that is not your own. Like you have to come down with all your own trash yeah. and then a bag of other trash. She also, uh, oh, sorry, I'm rereading stuff. Okay. okay. Yeah, so she's doing these cleanup climbs, uh, and she was accompanied by her husband and kids. Yay. So it's like a family outing. It's so cute. That'd be cute. In 2003, there was an event to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the first successful summiting of Everest that I mentioned before in... 1953 the event also honored notable climbers including junko and that like sir edmund hillary was still alive and he was there too so they definitely shook hands and were like palling around he definitely was like you're my hero yeah and she was like no i'm the 36th person to mount everest (laughs) yeah there you go junko wrote seven books and had an asteroid which is called 6897 to bay named after her that's cool in 2011, the Great East Japan earthquake struck, which then caused a tsunami, which then caused nuclear meltdowns. Like, can like, do you remember when that was happening? Yeah. Like, it just it kept real getting bad. worse. It's kind of like 2020. <laughs> well, we haven't had a nuclear meltdown yet. A ton of shit has been on fire, though. Well, and like Louisiana got hit by two hurricanes. Yeah. Got hit by a hurricane. Like, it's it's bad. 
Yeah. Could be worse, though, as we're understanding. This was actually the fourth largest earthquake in the world and, like, the largest earthquake to hit Japan, and it killed over 15,000 people. You know, I'm okay that we just just have tornadoes up here. You know, so the big issue in Minnesota, as far as natural disasters go, is Yellowstone. Because the places of volcano... If that tectonic plate ever decides to do anything, we're right on the fault line for it. No, it no, it's Yellowstone is going to erupt one of these days. We don't know when, but we know it's we are due. On a fault line, though. We are. I, I'm not worried about an earthquake, but I frequently Google Yellowstone eruption fallout I maps. I love you. <laughs> and oh we, we are be definitely okay. we're like, we're in the like we're gonna be okay, but we're gonna like get we're some gonna ash. Get, like, the ash. Yeah. yeah, but we're not gonna be obliterated like five other states yeah, are. We, we are within the Great Lakes tectonic plate. Yeah. Which is like half of the like Midwest, basically. I mean, because it's the Great Lakes. But the last earth, like the largest earthquake happened in 1917 and it's been pretty quiet since then. Yeah. But they said if like that ever happens, like basically all of Minnesota is just going to like be fucked. Super fun. So uh, after this horrific disaster, Junko started organizing annual excursions up Mount Fuji for children who were affected by the disaster. And like, I I was thinking about this. I was talking with Jared about it. What a beautiful thing this must have been. It really is. Because I feel like a natural disaster, along with like literally all the other horrors they bring, really negatively impact your relationship with nature. Nature is the enemy. Nature has come out of nowhere to ruin your life. It's like, like when I was having like my hip issues, I, I had this really poor relationship with my body. I hated my body because it hurt. I couldn't do things and I didn't know why. And I'm like, I hate my own body. I feel like it's not that big of a leap to hate the world around oh, you, yeah. you know? Especially when it's just like one thing after the other like that. Yeah. I, I, like just fucking awful. So not only is nature therapeutic, but spending time in nature could have helped repair that relationship for those children who lost their homes, schools, family, and friends. Like, the potential loss that these children experience is astounding. Astronomical. Yeah. Just, it's, yeah. I, by the way, I'm super happy you said astronomical because I was between astronomical and astounding. So you pulled that from my brain yep. and get the fuck out. You yep. don't want to know what's going on there. I already know. It's a lot of static, right? I know everything. It's a lot of screaming. It's a lot of dark corners. (laughs) So this must have also been really great for Junko to recreate her childhood experience when she first climbed a mountain, starting a lifelong passion. Right. Like, I... She's, like, passing that passion off to the next generation. Right. And, like, that, that part made me tear up a little. I'm like, this is so beautiful. What's even more incredible is that after receiving a stomach cancer diagnosis in 2012, so a year after the earthquake, Junko continued mountaineering, including leading the earthquake survivors up Mount Fuji. She did this as late as July 2016, and she died on October 20th of the the same year at 77 years old. And I'm not trying to be ableist. Like, she powered through her stomach cancer. But I think it's just really crazy like i can't imagine right you know like that's insane now this is people would be like my stomach hurts Uh, i'm not climbing a mountain she's like fuck this i have cancer i think part of it is because this was such a important thing to her and 
Maybe because she had done it so much, it, it wasn't well, that, as difficult. Loves, you yeah, know what I mean, like when you love doing something, it doesn't seem like as much of a job. Yeah, but I, I just thought that was really sweet that I she got too. to take the kids up one last time, and I'm not crying or crying. So this is the regular legacy section. Junko has her own Google Doodle, which was displayed on September 22nd, 2019, on what would have been her 80th birthday. And I looked it up. It's super cute. It's animated and features the seven summits all grouped together. And she's like happily jumping across them. And then she jumps off the last one, (laughs) like off the screen. On November 19th, 2019, a mountain range on Pluto was named Tabay Montes in her honor. Or maybe it's Tabay Montes, M-O-N-T-E-S. Probably Montes. Because isn't that how they say it in space? <laughs> it's, do, do I have the accent space right? Space has its own language. <laughs> uh, but it's like, what's that What's that big mountain on uh, Mars? Because that's called like something Montes. Montes, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. It's something Montes. That's the name. Something months. Yep. Junko may not have wanted to be wanted to remember herself as the first woman to summit Mount Everest, but this feat helped to advance women's place in mountaineering. She inspired other women to pursue mountaineering and their passions and to not be afraid. I'll end this with a quote from Junko, which was also her personal slogan. Do not give up. Keep on your quest. Mm, I like that. Isn't that cool? And that is Junko Tabe. That was one. I like that story. The 36th person to summit Everest. Everest yeah. <laughs> I like mountain climbers. I, you know, I have not done a mountain climber yet. And I know you've done several like adventurers and mountain climbers. And so it was actually a lot of fun. And I learned Great. more about mountaineering. There you go. And about the dead people on Everest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that comes with like any story you do on a mountain climber. At least I'm one that's climbed Everest. Like it's always like mentioned in the sub notes. Well, didn't you say I was it Truda who climbed Kilimanjaro and people wouldn't go up with her because of all the skeletons? And she's like, I think it was Kilimanjaro. It was one of the mountains she climbed. But yeah, Yeah. she was just like, meh. Are you ready? I'm super ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for your wine. My wine. I'm ready for your wine in my ears. Okay. So I'm going to cover Gertrude Jeanette. Gertrude Jeanette. Yep. That's a pretty name. Yeah, I know. I like that. She was born Gertrude Hadley on November 28th, 1914 in Urbana, Arkansas. Ooh, that's really close to where I grew up, which was Urbana, Illinois. It was like part of the Twin City where I grew up. (laughs) Yeah, Champaign, Urbana. It's super close. Yes. Not really. (laughs) The name is The name is, yeah. So her father was Willis Hadley, and he taught at a mission on a Native American reservation near Spiro, Oklahoma, and her mother, Sally, uh, was a homemaker. She is African-American. I feel like I need to, like, her her father worked on a reservation, but she's an African-American. So Gertrude grew up on a farm. She had five brothers and one sister. You know, they did a lot of outside stuff, climbing trees, you know, playing stickball, fishing, Unfortunately, during her childhood, the Great Depression hit, and her family ended up moving to Little Rock, Arkansas. Didn't say why. I just assume probably for work. They're or looking something. for more opportunity. Yep. Um, she was enrolled in Dunbar High School, which was a segregated school, and she recalled beginning each day singing the song "Lift Every Voice and Sing." Oh, that's so much better than what I right? did, which was pray. 
That sounds more pray or do the national anthem one of the two. Both. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Both actually. On her prom night, she met her future husband, Joe Jeanette, who was a heavyweight prize fighter, thirty-five years her senior. Oh shit! Was he chaperoning the prom? I don't know. It just, it just says he was in town from New York, so maybe it was like an open thing. I'm you like, know? was he trolling the high school prom? I don't know. <laughs> The pair would dance the Lindy Hop, which was a popular dance, particularly in Harlem at the time. Um, And by the end of the song, he asked her to marry him. Oh, my God. People in the past were so insane. Have you? I know we've talked about this, but have you seen that? I think it's a college humor video where there's an old woman talking about her husband courting her, and then there's a young woman who's taught who's like mirroring the story, but she's super creeped out. Where it's like this guy just came up to me and and told me he was going to marry me, and I said no. And then the old lady's like. But he didn't give up. Oh, so sweet. And just kind of like how our perceptions on that change. Like if a guy asked me to marry him at the end of the song, I would pepper spray him. Yeah. No. Quote, just because I'm a small town girl, I'm not a fool, she recalled telling him. (laughs) And I just walked off the dance floor. Oh, good girl, Gertrude. However, he did persist and they did end up eloping in 1933. So a few years later, they moved to New York. They, you know, they were living their life. Two years later, she decided to get her license to drive a motorcycle because her husband was um, president of a motorcycle club. So she became the first woman to get a license to drive a motorcycle in New York City. Nice. Yep. I feel like her and Bessie Stringfield would have been besties. Right. She would go on to join her husband's motorcycle club, which was called the Harlem Dusters, which I love. That's cute. Um, and he was the one that taught her how to ride. Um, he taught her under a pair of elevated train tracks on what is now the Frederick Douglass Boulevard in Harlem. She later recalled the L train. They had these big pillars and he would push me with no motor running, take the motorcycle and push me around and have, have me to guide in and out of those L posts to get the swing of the motorcycle. That same year that she got her motorcycle license, she would also have her only son named Robert. Unfortunately, within five years, he died within five years. So he, di- oh, yeah, he died at the age of five, which is really, really sucks. sad. It didn't say how. It just, yeah, it so was probably sad. just like little kid sickness, crap, something awful. Yeah. So a few years after that, even though she already had her motorcycle license, Gertrude decided to get her hack license or her cab license, as oh, okay. is now known. Um, in 1942, she had responded to an ad in a newspaper that was looking for women to replace the men that had gone off to war as cab drivers. 1942. Oh, so she's like a uh, cab Rosie the Riveter. Basically. She rec- Connie, she, Connie the cab Connie driver. Connie the cab driver. <laughs> she, she, said, she said, quote, women were going into plants and everything else taking over jobs. I said, well, I know one thing. I can drive a car. Love it. 32 of us took the test and only two passed. Uh, the other girl didn't get her license because she had citations on her driver's license. So I, I was the first. That's what she said. Okay. Um, she had learned to drive a Chrysler truck at the age of 13 back in Arkansas with her family. So she knew what she was doing. Yeah. If you can handle those Arkansas roads, you can handle New York. I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying it's a thing. Right. If you can dodge a cow, you can dodge a person. (laughs) Gertrude is widely thought to be the first woman to get her taxi license in New York City. And that was from Alan Fromberg, the deputy commissioner of public affairs. However, a lot of records from that period have been lost or destroyed, which is very, very sad. They do know that the first unlicensed female cab driver was Wilma K. Russie in 1915, but they're pretty sure Gutrude was the first officially licensed. Yeah, she cab was Facebook driver. official. The best part is on her first day, 
She got in an accident. Oh, no. On purpose. Oh. That went from oh, no to oh. (laughs) She had pulled up in front of the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in Manhattan. So very, very nice neighborhood. Yeah. And was looking for a fare, but was cut off by other taxi drivers. Supposedly in those days, black drivers weren't allowed to work downtown. They could only work uptown, like in the black neighborhoods. And so, you know, according to her, quote, they said, say, buddy, you know, you're not supposed to be in this line. End quote. They were insulting her and they hemmed her in. So she stayed in line until someone cut in front of her. Another cab cut in front of her. Quote, I rammed my fender under his fender, swung it over to the right, and ripped it. That's what she said in 2011, which was during a ceremony in her honor. Oh, my God. Hey, thanks for honoring me. I'm going to tell y'all how I caused an accident and wrecked this dude's car. Apparently, when the other driver got a good look at her, he started screaming, a woman driver, a woman driver. Oh, no. She would later get (laughs) reprimanded by an inspector, but she also drove off with her very first customer. Love it. The customer's like... That chick will get me where I want to go, and she will take lives to get me there. I'm in. Right? He's like, I got it. I'm I'm getting on. I need to get to the airport right fucking now. Right. Can you get me there? Exactly. With the money she earned from cab driving, she set out to correct a a childhood stammer that she had. Uh, She ended up enrolling in basically the only speech class that she could find that would teach her. Uh, it was at the American Negro Theater, which was housed in the basement of the Schromberg Center, which is today the research in black culture in Harlem. So it's like a place in Harlem. Awesome. She never wanted to act, but that was the only place. She was like, I want to get over this this stammer that I have. And that was, like I said, the only place that would teach her. So she's like, okay, I guess I'm doing theater. Yeah. <laughs> um, acting instruction was obviously part of the curriculum. Um, and she studied along notable names like Sidney Poitier, Ruby oh, D, and O.C. Davis. Yeah. So she like, because that was one of the only schools that would do that kind of thing for black people. Black people. Yeah. She was quickly singled out in her, cl- her class, however, because she- because of her stage presence. She ended up in her first Broadway production in 1949, which uh, premiered at the Music Box Theater, which is, again, a notable theater in Harlem. Um, and it was called Lost in the Stars. That's pretty That's neat. That's awesome. So later in that same year, so 1949, the Harlem Dusters, so that motorcycle group that she was still a part of, um, including Gertrude and her husband, um, traveled to what was supposed to be an open air concert in Peekskill, New York. Okay. Okay. Um, During this time, not only was her husband still running the Harlem Dusters, but he was also um, like a bodyguard, so to speak, for, um, God, what's his name? Hold on. I lost his name. Why did I lose his name? Because history doesn't want to remember. Okay. So not only was her husband the leader of this motorcycle gang, he also worked as a bodyguard, kind of, for a man named Paul Robeson, who was a singer, an actor, and a political activist at the time. Okay, so big deal. Yep, 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 yep. And he was, I don't know if he was going to be speaking at this concert or if he was part of the dusters or what, but he was there and her, you know, her husband was helping protect him. And Gertrude recalls in an interview in 2005, quote, that is the first time I saw the Ku Klux Klan. They came out to lynch Paul Robeson. Oh, no. So Klansmen set fire to crosses on the field and American Legion members protested what they saw as Mr. Robinson's affinity for the Soviet Union and communism. Jesus fucking Christ, you guys. This led this led to a clash between concert goers and the Klansmen, obviously. Um, this melee would later become known as what is called the, the Peekskill Riots, 
I wonder Riot. why. Yeah. Riot, no, you guys. Riot is not the right word. Yeah. Maybe like the peak skill attempted mass murder. Right. <laughs> and because her husband was a bodyguard of sorts during the riot, both she and her husband rushed to their motorcycles to help get Robeson out. Oh, that's amazing. So he did not get murdered. Thank God. <laughs> Back home, she would go on to land more Broadway roles, you know, after that terrible terrible thing um she had a lot of emotion to draw from now <laughs> right so she she would be in five other uh plays throughout the years including one written by tennessee williams who she would become good friends with oh wow right she would also go um go on when the, when the american negro theater closed in 1949 um and many of the company's black actors left you know because they were like well what are we gonna do so they there's moved to nowhere like, else that well they moved to california act. so they were yeah. like you know maybe we'll find something there gertrude chose to stay however her and a lot of other people were barred from working during the red scare particularly because she was friends with mr robeson and you know people thought he was a communist so during that time when she wasn't basically allowed to act, she began writing plays of her own in response to what she saw as an absence of authentic black characters on the stage, particularly females. Quote, I saw parts that I knew I wouldn't play. And so I started writing about women and strong women that I that I knew no one would be ashamed to play. Right. That, well, we've seen that where um, women of color, especially in the entertainment industry, they're like, hey, you can have one of these three roles. They're all super racist. Right, exactly. And it's, you kind of have that. We've had that in a few of the last few people we've talked about where they were like, no, I'm not going to take that role. One of shitty reoccurring themes of our podcast. Um, But it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to make a choice. Racial racism and Nazis. It's all it's all up in here. Right. Um, but you kind of have to make that choice and draw your own line because you can make arguments for both. Well, I'm not going to portray you know, characters that are insensitive to my race, well, then you're not going to do anything at all because that's all that's available. So that's really right. cool how she's like, I'm going to make my own fucking right. characters. I'm going to make my I own love plays. That too. She's like, fuck you guys. I'm um, I'm flipping the script. So Mrs. J or Mother Gertrude, as she was known in Harlem. Mother Gertrude? Like, bo- both of those were her nicknames It's in like Harlem. Mother Goose, but more badass you know, right? because she rides a motorcycle and she'll kill you. <laughs> so not only was she writing plays, she set up a succession of theater companies within the Harlem neighborhood, in- including one that was known as the Hadley Players, which is H period A period D, you know, et cetera, which stood for Harlem Artists Development League, especially for you, which I like. Love and that it. was set up in 1979. Quote, she had many opportunities to go to Hollywood, but she always stayed in Harlem, which was said by Ward Nixon, who was the company's artistic director. She stayed in Harlem to make sure the community had a top notch theater. Oh, right. She was a demanding director, though. But she would go on to mentor a generation of young black actors in New York. She would she would write five plays which grappled with racism, politics, family, and the importance of education. So she's like, nah, we're going to have values up in here. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Her first play, which was also her favorite, was called The Way Forward, which she, she published in 1950. It drew upon her childhood in Arkansas. So she's like, it was, you know. Dodging it, cows it, it in the home. truck. Exactly. Another one called A Bolt from the Blue explored uh, what was known as the Bronx Slave Market, which was a group of black women huddled outside department stores searching for jobs as day laborers in the 1930s and 40s. Oh, I've never heard of that. Right. Oh, my God. That'd be a great Patreon topic. Right. 
If you want to hear our cool extra topics, subscribe to our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Or see the V to our A. Yes. Mr. Nixon would also say, quote, they were wonderfully dramatic pieces punctuated by lighter moments throughout. You always walked out of one of our plays feeling uplifted and encouraged. I love that. She continued to act throughout her life, retiring from, she continued to act throughout her life well into her 80s and retired from directing at 90. Eight. Oh my 98 yep good god gertrude that so she, when did she transition from mother gertrude to grandmother gertrude yeah, i don't know she turned 100 in november of 2014 oh my god and would die on april 4th 2018 at the age of 103 in her home at harlem jesus christ i here's the thing I was waiting for you to say, and she's still alive, yeah, right? and she's 108 years old or something, because I would have believed She was it. survived by 10 nephews and six nieces, because remember, her only child died. Oh, that's right. But she was Mother Gertrude yeah. to all those exactly. actors. Oh, my God. So, Mr. Nixon, again, the Hadley's creative director said, quote, Miss Jeanette left, uh, left this earth the feeling of hope, left on this earth the feeling of hope. That wherever you are in life and whatever you want to do, you can always rise up. I love that. So total, her legacy. So she was in two, three, four, five, six. Kelly's counting in Spanish again. <laughs> yeah, right. She was, so she was in six films. That was her filmography. She wrote several plays and she was she acted in several Broadway shows as well. As I mentioned, she, she gained several awards throughout her, both when she was alive and when she was dead. I'll just do a quick bullet list of some of the big ones. In 1987, she won the Black American Newspaper's Personality of the Year. In 1991, she won the Living Legend Award at the Black National or at the National Black Theater Festival. In 1992, she got the Harlem Business Recognition Award. 1999, she was inducted into the Arkansas Black Hall of Fame. 2002, she won the Paul Robeson Award for Actors' Equity Association, which I she love. She better have. She saved right? that dude's life. <laughs> in 2004, she won the Giving Back Award. And then in 2010, uh, she posthumously award- oh, got awarded the... Uh, oh, God. I'm going to... I thought you were going to say the adult film. <laughs> no, that would be... So- oh, no, wait. No. She was still alive. Twenty. I No, 2010. Yeah, she was still alive. My bad. Let's repeat that. In 2010, she won the... Adelco nomination in three categories for best play revival for her play Gladys's Dilemma. Love it. So yeah. And obviously she left behind a legacy of I mean all those actors. And, and yeah, like I I don't know if Hadley's still going on, but I know it went on after after she died. Yeah, and, which you know, was so like, recent. You said 2018? 2018 at the at God. the age of 103. How have we never heard of her? I know. It sounds like she was pretty well recognized in her life well, I, I love maybe that she went i'm not she went from being circle. like one of the 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 first woman to, to get a motorcycle license the first woman to be a licensed taxi cab driver and then all of a sudden oh i'm just gonna be this great actor and director and start all these like playhouses in harlem and all of this stuff it, yeah it's it's funny because i feel like she had such a multifaceted personality like Obviously, she's writing this, you know, clever, soulful, but also like uplifting and humorous uh, plays. But then she's also like, bitch, I will wreck your car. I will rip off your fender and I will take your fucking fare. And I will get him where he needs to be. And I will take lives to do it. And I will rescue people from the 
fucking KKK. Like she seems right? like this really almost like 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 hands on badass, but then she's also doing this really like emotional, right? Yeah. you know, creative stuff. Which she I just sounds Mother like a Gertrude really cool is great person. Because I feel like moms are like that. Like they have that like mother bear side of them. Yeah, but then they also have like that kind nurturing like the, the mother You're my side. child. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that is Gertrude Jeanette. Oh, Mother Gertrude, that's yeah. amazing. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome, Ke- Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> You're so used to me saying it. It's okay. You can ask yourself. Emily. I'm kind of sick of it. <laughs> what are you thankful for? Um, I am thankful for, I'm going to say two things. One, mm-hmm. I donated blood this week. And uh, my the phlebotomist who took my blood, I've he's been my guy before. And he's always really nice and really Aww. I don't think he remembered me, but no, I remember him. No, but you him. remembered him. That's what matters. And he was he's he's super friendly. He's really talkative. And um, I'm going to go hiking uh, up north. In a weekend or so. Yeah, that's the reason and we're not having an episode next week. Yeah, because I want to go hike there. amongst the foliage. I want to see the leaves change. I know. I'm trying to convince. There's like a waterfall tour. Like that's basically most of Minnesota. I think you might go slightly into the Dakotas. And I'm like, Justin, we need to do this. That sounds yeah. amazing. I would do that with you. Yeah. I mean, we'd have to like take a long weekend to do it. Yeah. But I'm like, I want to do it and see the fall colors. But uh. So he he ha- his wife is from the area where I'm going to, and so he was giving me all the like insights. He's like, oh, and here's what they're go doing here, with COVID, here, yeah. and here's like you know like he was giving me, and it was it was funny because there's a there's a mansion there, uh, and it's it's got a lot of history which I'm really interested in, but there were also two murders. Is it haunted? No, it's well, that's definitely haunted. Right up your alley, then. And so I was gonna like politely ask him, do they talk about the murders? And before I could, he goes, and they just got permission to start talking about the murders. And I'm like, dude, get out of my head. You took my blood and went in my head through the needle and I'm loving it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I like it was a good experience. I I can't wait to giving blood makes me feel good. I'm super excited. And he was really nice. So that was good. The second thing I'm thankful for is uh, Jared and I had a really good talk today. So being a caregiver for someone with a severe disability is exhausting it's hard it's a challenge and i love him and i wouldn't change it but there are definitely times where it's like we have to check in on each other emotionally and better understand where each of us are coming from because i'm feeling one way because he's acting one way but it's because of his disability and like you know just trying to better understand where each of us are coming from and I was feeling very overwhelmed. I was feeling very frustrated. And we were able to talk about it without feeling defensive or attacked. And especially with our situation with his severe PTSD and me being the caregiver, it's really important to do that. And it always makes me feel better after we have like a really good right. talk like that. And we kind of like reconnect over how each of us is feeling where each of us is coming from because even though I also you know struggle with anxiety and depression the way his PTSD PTSD is different first of all but the way his anxiety manifests is a lot different than how mine does so I'll read something that he does through my anxiety lens and it's It's, coming from a different place or there's a different intention and like same with how I act you know so I get that. That was good. Yeah. So to all the caregivers out there, to all the people who uh, are Struggle. with someone with uh, mental illness and you're struggling, you know, talk. 
it really helps. It <laughs> and take care and of it yourself. Might be, and it might be scary, but it helps. But yeah, take care of yourself too, because you you're you can't help anyone if you don't take care of yourself. Aww. So Kelly, what are you thankful for? Um, I guess I'll do two things too. Oh well, my god, extra I mean, credit. I've had a rough a rough two weeks. I don't even remember if I talked about it last week, but it's been a rough two weeks. Like I kinda had a breakdown. I think it was earlier this week. Yeah, it was earlier this week. Was like, it like two Tuesday days night? ago? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just it's been rough. And I I just I, I guess mine's one, but it's two things in one. I I just really want to thank my husband because he's been here to listen to me and like he's been really understanding about it, even though he doesn't necess- he doesn't suffer from anxiety himself, which can make it really hard to understand where someone's coming from. Um, but he's just been really, really great and, you know, kind of helped me and made sure I'm okay and, you know, made sure like what I needed was met, even though I wasn't necessarily meeting my own needs, you know, but he was there to make sure like, you know, are you doing okay? Like, you know, have you taken your meds? Have you, you know, and not like in a demanding or demeaning way, but just like, just like a, Hey, I know you're struggling, you know, like here's a gentle reminder kind of thing. And I really appreciated that. But then I also appreciated today that he was open because we, we started talking because I guess he had a rough day yesterday and he didn't tell me. <laughs> and, and so he was, you know, having a rough morning and I, you know, he like opened up to me and I, he was just like, well, I didn't, you know, I was like, well, you could have told me yesterday. And he's like, well, I didn't want to tell you because, you know, you have all your own stuff going on. And I had to like, look at him and I'm like you know I it doesn't matter and I I've told this to Emily too I'm like I don't care what I have going on I don't care how high my anxiety is I don't care how much I'm struggling I will always be there to listen to you just because I'm dealing with something doesn't mean I don't want to help you go through whatever you're going through Mm -hmm. and he's like I don't want to put that burden on you I'm like that's literally what I'm here for like I am your wife and but he was like really responsive to it and you know he was actually really nice like you know because some people would get really defensive and yet no he was just like okay I'm you know I understand I'm really sorry you know you know in the future I understand you know I'll I'll do that and like it was just it was a nice like we like you said we had that like reconnecting moment of you know I'm here for you if you need me even if I'm struggling. Well, and I feel like when you're in a relationship, you know, there is this idea that you fall in love and the longer you know someone, the more the more you click, the more in tune you are. And right. while some of that is true, it doesn't come without maintenance. You have to take that time to reconnect, check in with your partner oh, yeah. because you're both individuals going through different things and even maybe processing the same thing differently. And so it's really important to like sit down and almost do like uh, like an aftercare breakdown where it's like, okay, here's what happened. Here's how I was feeling about it. And here's what I might need in the future or, Hey, I just need to vent. And then I totally understand not wanting to put that like, Oh yeah. Your emotional strain on someone else. And it's like, it's nice that he was thinking of me, but at the same time, it's like, I'm your partner. And if you're going through something, it's going to affect me whether you tell me or not. So it's better if you tell me because then I can help you deal with it. Well, and just general advice for all of our listeners, it never hurts to ask. So I have a friend um, and he struggles a lot with anxiety and depression, too. And he knows I do also and that I get overwhelmed, you know, like every other minute I average. Uh, (laughs) But what we'll do if we really need to vent about something, we'll be like, hey, 
can I vent to you? Right. Or, you just, hey, you just, can I dump You just dump say this? it straight out. Like, because, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Can I talk to you about yeah, it? Yeah, because there are some cases where someone may not be emotionally available to take on someone's, like, emotional labor. Or even it's like, hey, if you just want to talk at me and don't, but don't expect me to, like, really respond. Like, if you just need to vocalize this, that's fine. I'm but here. here's where yep. I am. But asking is always a good way to go because then you know you're not putting something on someone that they can't handle. And right. then you feel better because they've acknowledged, yeah, I'm here for you. Let's do this. Right. And, I, yeah, I'm not trying to say my husband did anything wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I, that just made it, me I was think just, of that. I was just saying it was it was nice to have that conversation and, you know, Generally, if you if you're married to someone, they're going to be okay taking on your emotional baggage. It is okay to either let your partner know that you're okay doing that or ask, but generally, that's going to be a thing. Yeah. I, so I was glad that would like when I said that to him that you know he he didn't get like defensive or anything. Right. Like, he was just like, okay, I understand. It's a really easy place to fall in. Right. That's what I was feeling yesterday. Uh, Jared, like I bought I bought generic ketchup and I guess he doesn't like it. He's like, next time can we get name brand ketchup? And I was like, oh, I can't even fucking buy ketchup. Right. And that's totally not what he was saying. <laughs> but that's right. how I took it. Exactly. I'm, like, I'm a failure at everything, even buying ketchup. So right. it's a very easy place to go. <laughs> right. And the thing is, what Justin's going through is has absolutely nothing to do with me. Right. But yeah, like I, I understand because like, like I said, like, especially Tuesday was real rough for me and he was there for me. I understand. I kind of understand why he didn't want to share. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I can tell something's wrong. So I'm just going to sit over like, like I'm just going to sit over here and worry that I did something. Right? You know, it's like mountaineering. It's not about stoically enduring suffering. It's about right. communicating, exactly. and telling people you need oxygen because you're about to die. <laughs> So remember that in your relationship, everyone. Yes. Be Don't, a mountaineer. Be a mountaineer. Make, make Mountain it, make face it for Everest. all challenges together. Make it for Everest. <laughs> okay, oh, we're done damn. with the puns. We're going to end this episode. All now. right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. We have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com, a Patreon, a Patreon and a Teespring. If you just search whining about herstory, we'll be there. Yes. We'll be there. there. There's a song that says we'll be there. I'm a be there. Please don't sue me. I'm a be there. I love there. that. Like, she always selling sh- my merch. Yeah, she <laughs> sings the first line of a song and then just goes, please don't sue me. <laughs> I have to include the disclaimer. That's what makes it a parody and makes it so they can't sue me. Ah. But yeah, we have a Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month. We just rolled out our first bonus episode where yeah. we cover the Seneca Falls Convention, which is a crucial moment in American mm. women's rights. Yep. Uh, we are also we'll going to record. The v to the A. We're going to record our first V to the A episode where we are going to visually record an episode. And there's going to be a lot of visual cues that we will reference through the episode. And patrons, you're going to get that content early. So you'll get to watch and hear the episode. Unless it's terrible. And then we're just going <laughs> to pretend it never happened. Before <laughs> anyone else. So again, you get access to all that content for as little as $1 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you subscribe to our $10 level for two months, you get a handmade whining about her street. 
glass. wine glass. Uh, now that we have merch, uh, you can also get a discount code for merch. Mm-hmm. Guys, the holidays are coming. I know it's only September, but you're saying that now and you're going to blink and it's going to be December 23rd and you're going to we'll be make like, you some, We'll make you some foreverist mugs that you yes. can buy for your significant other for oh, um, Christmas. That's that's a shirt. It's happening. A shirt and mugs. We're doing it. Tote. We're gonna make totes. The totes are super nice. Emily got one. It has a little pocket it's, on the inside. You guys, I so we're we're gonna do some pictures. Maybe I'll make a video about because I'm super excited about this tote. It's huge, and it's also got a little pocket on the inside for my keys with a button, and I'm just absolutely thrilled. Yeah, it's great. Except, you, you, you were you had your backpack today. I was gonna I was gonna uh, be mean to our tote because I'd be like, your keys did fall out, but you had your backpack. Not the yeah, tote. my backpack failed. So the, mission. the V to the A will be out on the thirtieth. And then our next episode will be out on the fifth because we are sca- we are taking a hiatus next week for Emily to go hiking. No, our next episode is going to be out on the twenty first. Yeah, but this is releasing on the twenty first, right? So the next episode will be oh. on the fifth, <laughs> and the video will be out on the thirtieth. We are the time lords of podcasting, and we don't know when or where we are. Well, one of us does. Uh, but yeah, no episode on the 28th, but you can get that sweet, sweet V to the A content. On the 30th. On the 30th. All right. Also, uh, our contest that we're running on our social media, yeah, we will be announcing We are going that. to announcing the winner on the 21st. So the if you winners. haven't, all there's two winners. Oh. One's going to get a shirt. One's going to get a mug. So if you haven't already, like us on Twitter, Instagram, and or Facebook. We're running the promotion on all of those. Uh, the instructions are there. You can find the post, but basically follow us, like the post, tag two people who need more history in their lives, and for five extra entries, leave us a review on iTunes. We've actually gotten some really lovely ones. If you leave us a review on iTunes and your name on iTunes is different than your like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, Twitter. name, just like let us know in the comments like, hey, my iTunes handle is this. Or email or us. Or send us a screenshot or whatever. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We love you. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.